Listen, I get it. There are about a hundred different Bible study apps and guides out there, but I want to tell you about one that you may not have heard of yet, Yarrow. Yarrow offers beautifully designed inductive Bible studies and a digital app that guides you through scripture so that you can know what it says and understand what it means for your actual life. No matter where you're coming from or what season of life you're in, Yarrow is the Bible study guide that will help you unearth the truth of scripture so that it can take root in your heart and propel you deeper in your relationship with God. Go check out their first study, Known, which is all about your identity in Christ at yarrow.org. They are offering 10% off with the code JOURNEYWOMEN10. So go to yarrow.org and use the code JOURNEYWOMEN10 for 10% off and download the Yarrow app to study for free today. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, we get to chat with one of my favorite people to learn from at a distance, Kyle Worley, who you probably know from Knowing Faith podcast. Kyle serves as a pastor at Mosaic Church in Richardson, Texas, and if you don't know him already, he's also the executive producer and co-host for Knowing Faith Podcast, one of our favorite podcasts here at Journey Women. You can find Knowing Faith on all platforms and follow Kyle on Twitter and Instagram at Kyle Worley, which I know you're going to want to do if you don't already. Kyle Worley, welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. Hey, I'm really glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. I feel like this is long overdue. I told you this before we hopped on the call, but I really respect your work at Knowing Faith and was introduced to you through your podcast, which I just think is such a worthy listen. So it's really fun to get to chat with you about a topic that I've heard you actually discuss with JT English and Jen Wilkin, two other friends of the podcast who have been on in this series that we're currently running, Knowing and Loving God. So it's really fun to kind of uh, have the third person of the knowing faith trifecta mm. in this series. You began strong and you're going to finish weak with me. Um, <laughs> you got, you've got the best two of the three already done. So I'll just come in and just, you know, riff on what they've said already. Hardly, hardly. Um, my husband doesn't listen to many Christian podcasts. He definitely does not listen to Journey Women, but I have to tell you, he's a faithful listener of Knowing Faith. And so I probably should have hopped on with him just to get like the updated version of what's going on in your life, because he was very impressed that I was talking to you today. Oh, well, I'm I'm humbled. I would be impressed to talk to him. Uh, no, I, I, we love doing it. It's a lot of fun. And, you know, I was telling Hunter before we jumped on that one of the, uh, when we were kind of launching Knowing Faith Independent from its church home that had kind of been forged and created and uh, one of the inspirations for how we could do that well was Journey Women. And so uh, I'm glad to be a sister podcast to you. Yeah, you guys do a really good job. And I um, hope that many people will go and listen. I was telling you that I think one of the things that had been missing um, as far as Christian resources go uh, prior to your launch of Knowing Faith was really men and women sitting and discussing theology together. And so Mm. that's been so edifying for me personally. And I love how you guys go through different books of the Bible and things like that, something that we don't do on Journey Women. So 100% recommend that people hop over and listen to Knowing Faith. You guys do such a great job. But beyond that, you pastor a really wonderful church called Mosaic 
is it in the Richardson area technically? It's in Richardson specifically. Yeah, we're a hyper local church in Richardson, Texas. And so that's a suburb right north of Dallas. And we are in Richardson for Richardson. You know, the overwhelming majority of our people live in Richardson proper and we're right here. So we were, we planted, we just celebrated three years from our launch and uh, God's been very gracious and kind to us. That is so neat. I told you that I went to one of your women's retreat. I guess it was a conference of sorts, like sure. within your local church yeah. and listened to my friend Caroline Cobb, who's also oh, yeah. been on the podcast. Great songwriter. One of the best. I just love to watch your women meet together and just be encouraged by her singing the story of scripture. Oh, yeah. It was such a worshipful time. And man, I, next time I'm in Richardson, I'm going to have to pay you guys a visit. Well, we, we'd love to see you. We'd love to see you. Welcome anytime. Well, one of the things that I heard you talking about on Knowing Faith that really piqued my interest, this was kind of OG Knowing Faith, Mm. was this concept of union with Christ. And it's not lost on me. Like I'm sure many people have, as they've been reading their Bible, come across the phrase like being united with Christ in the heavenly places, et cetera, et cetera. But it's this concept of being united with Christ that I think actually many women have not interfaced with. And it's something that I have found to be so deeply encouraging and freeing for me personally in my walk with the Lord. So I thought I've got to get Kyle on to talk about union with Christ. So can you tell us like, what does it mean when Christians say that we are united with Christ and where do we see some of the biblical evidence for that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So when we think about the doctrine of union with Christ, if I was just giving us like a baseline understanding, the doctrine of union with Christ is the basic idea that Christians are in Christ Jesus. Yes. That's the 101 version. Christians are in Christ Jesus, which means that by grace, God's active intervention in the world that's unconditional, that's unmerited, uh, that's just his overflowing of his love by grace through faith, which is our response to that grace, a gift that God gives and a gift that he gives so we can give ourselves back to God. That's what faith is. We enter into Christ Jesus. And we now make our home with God in Christ. This means that every saving benefit that God has for the Christian is in, with, and through Jesus Christ. So how are we made righteous? In Christ Jesus. How are we conformed to be righteous? Sanctification? In Christ Jesus. How are we regenerated? It's in Christ Jesus. All of the saving benefits of God are in Christ Jesus. And so When we think about union with Christ, we often go, well, let's start in the New Testament. But I think that is where the doctrine of union with Christ becomes the most explicit. Hmm. But union with Christ is really the New Testament's carryover of the concept of covenant. So as covenant in the Old Testament is used, this idea of God's binding of himself to his people, the doctrine of union with Christ becomes an expression, a clearer expression, you might say, of covenant love and loyalty in the New Testament. So like if I was just reading the call of Abraham in Genesis 12, long before Christ has been mentioned and long before the doctrine of union with Christ becomes specific, you hear The Lord said to Abraham, Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So you could really talk about union with Abraham in the Old Testament 
as a concept of those nations, the both Abraham's offspring and the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And God has chosen to channel that divine blessing through Abraham to his family and through Abraham and his family to the world. And so the doctrine of union with Christ has a very strong Old Testament pedigree and that it is really being kind of played out in the Old Testament through the lens of covenant love. Mm. And then when we get to the New Testament, it's present in the Gospels. You think about Jesus and the high priestly prayer in John 17 mm-hmm. is praying to God saying, hey, I'm, God, I, Father, I'm asking that they will be one with you as you and I are one. And then that carries forward into Acts, where in Acts chapter 9, when Saul's on the road to Damascus, Christ Jesus in the vision confronts him and says to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? See, Jesus so closely identifies with his people that Saul's persecution of the church, Jesus can say, you're persecuting me. And right there, we see what becomes a bedrock in Paul's understanding of the doctrine of salvation. And then Paul certainly becomes the theologian of union with Christ at a fundamental level. His doctrine of salvation is, I think, because of that moment on the Damascus Road, irreparably shaped forever by that idea that when we come to God, in salvation, we come to God in Jesus, where we remain as his people forever. So that's maybe just a kind of a basic place to start. Is that helpful? It's helpful. And also, I kind of feel like one of the illustrations uh, that you use to describe union with Christ of an airplane, and you talk about like, are you in the airplane? Are you holding on to the airplane? I kind of feel like as I'm listening to your talk, I'm holding on to the wing of the airplane, like, okay, I'm trying really hard. Kyle, this is this is good. I'm going to try my best to keep up. But I'd love it if you would describe kind of that illustration that you have used in the past. It might have been a while ago yeah. of taking a trip and getting to another country via the airway. How does that kind of give us a picture of what it's like to be in Christ? I don't necessarily remember that illustration, but I can talk about it. So when we think about being in Christ Jesus, we think about like, okay, all of the saving benefits of God are in Jesus. A lot of times we think about our relationship with Christ as a relationship that we have adjacently. Our relationship with God is an adjacent relation um, that we're kind of We are related to God because of this adjacent work that Jesus accomplished on our behalf. And there's this idea that like Jesus did this thing over there and it's Mm -hmm. been given to us over here. Mm -hmm. But that's not how the New Testament's painting the picture of salvation. It's not that Christ is over there and he's like just giving you his benefits from over there, like lobbing them to you. It's more than that. It's that we actually only are able to enjoy those benefits If we actually reside in Jesus, we kind of make our home with God there. And I think a lot of times when we think about the Christian life, we think, okay, Jesus did this thing a long time ago. Um, God has a record of that. Um, And when I become a Christian, it's like there's a paperwork exchange um, where it's like my old papers are exchanged and God gives me a set of new papers that those are the Christ papers. Yeah. And I understand why that it's a very easy way for us to think about it, particularly in the global West, where we are usually fairly familiar with like legal designations of citizenship and belonging and those kinds of things. It's a litigious culture. So it's very easy to think in litigious terms, but it's much, much, much closer to think about this as there is a home that God has invited us into. Mm -hmm. And that home is full of all the good things. And the hearth and the fireplace is warm and going And we are born into this world naked, alone, and cold, 
We do not have the spiritual nourishment we need. And yet God is inviting us into the home of salvation. And that home is Jesus Christ. That's where all the good things are. All the saving benefits of God are there. And union with Christ is once you've made your home there, it's a home you can't lose. You don't get kicked out of it. You can't break out of it. And uh, even if you wander away from it, it, the door is always open to you. Ooh, there's so many things I could say. One of the things that I wanted to talk about is how this impacts our every day and how it goes beyond just like the signature in an email block, like in Christ. Like how does the doctrine and the concept of union with Christ impact our day-to-day lives? Well, it certainly puts us in a position where we can confidently walk into every day knowing that whatever may come, the one thing that cannot be removed from me is the love of God in Jesus. It's there. Mm -hmm. It's irremovable. It's irreplaceable. It's unbreakable. It's unshakable. There's nothing that Hunter can do today. If Hunter Mm -hmm. is in Christ Jesus, Mm -hmm. by grace through faith, the sovereign work of God, nothing can remove you from that. Nothing can break that union. Uh, Nothing can shake that union. Um, That the worst day and the best day are merely days upon which you're going to get to live out that union. And some days will be clearer expressions of it, and some days will be hazier expressions of it. That's really good news for people who feel like, man, my heart is fickle, Mm -hmm. or my circumstances are always changing, or it feels very difficult right now to walk in faithfulness to Christ. I mean, part of the good news of the the doctrine of union with Christ is that fundamentally it's about Christ's faithfulness to you, not your faithfulness to him, and that he will hold us even when we loosen our grip. We, it's not that we can't lose Christ because we're so strong. Uh, we can't lose Christ because he is not going to allow us to be lost. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not going to allow us out of his grasp, so to speak, even when we feel distant from it. And that gets to a, a distinction that I often make between union and communion. Maybe this will be a helpful time to mm-hmm. introduce it, but we often talk about union with Christ as this place that's irremovable, it's unbreakable, it's unshakable. Once mm-hmm. you enter into it, you can't lose it. Hmm. But we do experience disruptions in our relationship with God, don't we? I mean, doubt, yeah. distrust, sin, loss, grief. Not every day do we walk up, wake up in full enjoyment of all the blessings of being a beloved child of God. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to lose sight of that lose sight of that to to exchange it for something that seems better in the moment. Right. And so union with Christ is where all the saving benefits of God are secure. Communion with God is our enjoyment of those things. Hmm. Union with Christ can't be deepened or disrupted. Christ holds it. Your union with Christ, it's not going to get any deeper tomorrow. If you prayed all day today, your union with Christ wouldn't be deeper. If you sinned all day today, your union with Christ wouldn't be disrupted. But your communion with God, your enjoyment of all the benefits of this union, that can be deepened and it can be disrupted. Obedience, devotion, worship, meditation, reflection, these things deepen our enjoyment of all of these benefits of being a child of God. They don't make us more or less a child, but they deepen our enjoyment of them. And in the same way, sin disrupts our enjoyment of those things. Yeah. So if you spent the next three weeks neglecting God's word, neglecting the fellowship of the church, sinning to the nth degree that you could, if you spent your next three weeks doing everything in disobedience to God and his word, and you were in Christ Jesus, your union with Christ wouldn't be deepened by that, but it would also not be disrupted. But your communion with God, it would be. 
Yeah. It would be significantly disruptive. And oftentimes I see people experience a disruption in their communion with God and they'll go, wait, am I really in Jesus? Yeah. Or they'll experience doubts and they'll go, oh my gosh, am I really in Jesus Christ? I wouldn't be experiencing doubts or distrust or unbelief, or I wouldn't be struggling with this sin if I was really in Jesus Christ. It's going, no, 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 hold on. This right here is an identity thing. And this is a practice thing. You're prop- it sounds like you're experiencing disruptions in your practice, but it doesn't call into question the identity you've been given. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. And it kind of reminds me of something that that I've heard you say in reference to faith. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that relates to the conversation that we're having right now about communion? Yeah, I mean, when we think about faith, oftentimes we think about faith as a one-time act, as like we place our faith in Jesus. And having done that, we now receive. And that's true. There is an event of faith. Faith can be like a an event moment. But faith leads to faithfulness. And even over the last, you know, gosh, 20 or 30 years in New Testament studies, much study has been done on the Greek word pistis, which is the Greek word that's used for faith Hmm. in the New Testament. I'm thinking particularly of Matthew Bates' Salvation by Allegiance Alone, which is a a very significant work in this discussion. And if you're interested in this, it would be a work to consider. But that word faith, the Greek word pistis, it's not just this idea of faith as event or faith as moment. This idea is not just faith and cognitive trust. It's faith as loyalty or as allegiance. Now, the foundation of our salvation is God gives us the gift of faith. Mm-hmm. With this gift, the old theologian said that faith is the instrument of our salvation. We receive everything from the work of Christ and contribute nothing to it. So what he means by that is that faith doesn't make Christ's work effective. Faith receives the efficacy of Christ's work. Christ doesn't need our faith to accomplish salvation for his people. Faith is merely the gift that God gives by grace so that we can receive what Christ has done. This faith then becomes the foundation of a life of faithfulness Mm -hmm. of what in the Old Testament we probably could talk about as covenant loyalty. Hmm. But in the New Testament, we could just say obedience, faithfulness, and that obedience emerges from a heart that has been knit to God in Christ Jesus. So obedience becomes the overflow of a heart that has now received the saving benefits of God in Jesus. And that relationship becomes the lens by which we now understand what it means to walk with God in Christ Jesus. So is it necessary for us to walk in faithfulness to Christ in order to be knit to Christ? Well, No. If that was necessary, then no one could be knit to Christ. We don't have we don't have what we need to walk in faithfulness to Jesus. We're born without it. Mm -hmm. But having been given a new heart and new desires, having been given the gift of faith, now God is inviting us, and I would say expecting us, to begin to walk in faithfulness to what has been given. Faith is a gift that God gives so that we can receive what God has for us in Jesus and give ourselves back to God. So that's that kind of two sides of faith, receiving what God has for us in Jesus. That's how we often think about faith. It's just kind of monodimensional. Faith is how we receive the saving benefits of God in Jesus. He died on the cross for my sins. I place my faith in him. My sins are acquitted and forgiven and removed. And now I'm free to live with God. That is a part of faith, receiving. But faith is also the giving of ourselves back to God. 
you ever find yourself so busy that you can't find time to prioritize God's Word? Dwell Bible app can help you out. With Dwell, I can listen to and meditate on the scriptures in the car, in the middle of the night, or while I'm making meals and tending to the needs of our household. Incorporating the Bible into everyday moments is so easy with Dwell. I am constantly using the playlists on walks or as I fall asleep to review the scripture that I have been memorizing. The soothing background music, the ability to select your preferred translation or narrator, the sleep timer, and the read-along feature with Dwell make it the most helpful Bible reading app on the market. Their newest release is called Dwell Daily, and it will help you immerse yourself in the Word, pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for 25% off. One of the things that I really appreciate hearing you talk about is this in relation to justification and how a lot of times we hear people talk about justification as, and I I grew up with this, like just as if I've never sinned, like, Mm -hmm. but how it's so much more than that. And um, I I think this is kind of what you're referencing, um, how, yes, like when God gives us faith and when we repent and believe in Jesus, the Lord looks on us and it's as though we have never sinned, but there's so much to be added to that. So can you talk a little bit about that, like how it's not just like our record of sin is canceled, but how what God gives to us when we are made alive in him? I would say the bulk of my teaching ministry has been trying to explore the relationship between justification and union with Christ, partly because Calvin, who is often, you know, when we think about justification by faith alone, we got to think about Martin Luther and and particularly his commentary on Galatians. And Luther is responding to the Roman Catholic Church, who had a very skewed understanding of righteousness. Subsequently, a lot of what Luther has to say about justification is incredibly necessary and needed. Much of it is true, but a lot of it is contextual. His response there, I think, leaves some things to be desired. And Calvin, I think, does a little bit of course correction there because he is highly influenced and motivated to pull the doctrine of justification in to the relationship of union with Christ. And so what I would say is this, a couple of things. One, Many Christians have an etch-a-sketch understanding of justification, Mm -hmm. and I don't mean rudimentary. I mean they understand God's work of justification as uh, like an etch-a-sketch. You know, you take an etch-a-sketch, you draw on it, your kid plays on it or whatever – Maybe I'm dating myself here. I don't know the last time I saw somebody play with an etch sketch They're at Target right now. You're good. Okay. All right. Okay, cool. <laughs> so you're, you're trying to do something on etch sketch You realize, oh, man, I've kind of made a mess of this. You know, it didn't work out like I want to or I want to do something new. You shake it up. Yeah. Now you can do something again. You can create yeah. another mess on it. We often think about justification or God's work in that as etch sketch justification. You know, we had a life. It was a blank slate. The moment we're born, we start messing it up. When we experience salvation, God shakes the Etch-A-Sketch, and now we've got a clean slate to draw something beautiful on there. I do not think that is a helpful way of thinking about forgiveness and justification and righteousness. I think another image to use here, which would be more apt and more accurate, would be we have to imagine that we are born into this world with a canvas that has already been painted by Adam. Our canvas is already marked up. Now, maybe the colors look different for each one of us because of our unique brokenness 
our unique sin, our unique sin patterns. But at a fundamental level, there's a huge gash in the canvas and the painting on it is painting of condemnation, Mm -hmm. judgment, sin, and death. What happens is in justification in Christ, that is replaced. It's retextured. And God paints over that in Jesus. And then he hands us the paintbrush and goes, okay, this is your model. Now keep painting this beautiful picture here. A much different understanding. Righteousness then becomes the foundation of what we're doing, not just something that has been credited to our account that absolves us of past sin. I think another way to think about it is that when we experience justification. We experience it because we have been pulled in by faith to the righteous one. Justification, there's not like some bucket of justification out there. And Jesus, when I profess faith and confess Christ as Lord, he doesn't just take that bucket of justification and go, okay, here's some justification for you. Tell me when you need more. Here is some salvation for you. Tell me when you need more. That's not how it works. It's that when we enter into Christ Jesus, we are now justified because we are in the righteous one and we can never be removed from him. I mean, Mm -hmm. think about Ephesians 1, which you asked me biblically, where would you go to talk about the doctrine of union with Christ? Well, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14 would be a really great place to go. But you think about verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then if you just look at the prepositions that are used here, because the doctrine of union with Christ lives in the prepositions of the New Testament, even as he chose us in him, that we should be holy and blameless before him and love. He predestined us for adoption as sons. I'm just, I'm going real fast here. I'm not reading every word through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's justification. Like these prepositional phrases are drawing our attention that justification, sanctification, glorification, every saving benefit of God is in and only in Jesus. You think about Romans chapter eight, verse one, a verse that many of us have committed to memory because it is a freeing verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or you could read this a different way. You know, I've often said that's stated in the negative for force of argument. But what Paul is saying here is there is therefore justification for those Mm -hmm. who are in Christ Jesus. That's the positive way of moving forward Paul's argument here. So justification, it's not just some legal change of status that God gives us when we place our faith. And that's the end of the story. Christ Jesus is the justified one. He is the chosen one. He's the righteous one. And we are made righteous because we take a fundamental share in that identity by grace through faith. Uh So, yeah, there's a lot there. But, you know, we see this all through Paul's work. You know, we think about the Adam Christ typology in Romans 5 and in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our Mm -hmm. sake, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, Righteousness is something that we receive positionally, not just because we've placed faith in Jesus, but because our faith with Jesus actually pulls us into Jesus, and now God is viewing us in the Son. Are you looking to boost your protein intake in the new year? Many of us are not getting enough protein, especially at breakfast, so PrepDish wants to help you out. For the month of January, PrepDish is offering bonus protein boost meal plans when you sign up. 
This free bonus shows you how to quickly prep four protein-rich dinners and one breakfast to help you reach your protein goals. Each menu will have you covered for the whole week. You guys, these meals are super mouthwatering and delicious. They have slow cooker carnitas bowls, stuffed pepper soup, and a Swiss chard mushroom and goat cheese frittata. Just imagine coming home to a ready-for-you, protein-rich meal to refuel after a long day at work. This is a limited time offer, so make sure to sign up before the end of January to get these free bonus meal plans. Head into your healthiest year yet, feeling confident that dinner is planned, prepped, and will sustain you for all the things you have going that day with Prep Dish. Check it out and get a two-week free trial at PrepDish.com slash journey. Remember, for the month of January, anyone who signs up gets the Protein Boost Meal Plan bonus. Again, that's PrepDish.com slash journey for two weeks free plus bonus menus. Well, we have all of these benefits that we experience through our union with Christ, but what does he experience from being united with us? What does he experience? The reward of a suffering? Christ Jesus has gone to the cross for the joy that was set before him, which fundamentally is a benefit, a reward of his people. The church is the bride to the bridegroom who is Christ. So Christ meets his beloved people in Christ Jesus. When we enter into Christ Jesus, and as we make our home with God in Christ, we enter in as the fulfillment of all those whom the Father has given to the Son. We hear this even in Jesus's words in, in John 17. Uh, I pray not only for these also, but the, but also for those whom you will give me. So there is a promise inheritance that's been given to the son, which is a royal people, a royal dynasty of image bearers of God and fundamentally those who are co-heirs with Christ. What a glad heart Christ has that he has chosen to share the bounties of heaven's inheritance with strangers made sons and daughters of God and brothers and sisters to Christ. I mean, that's an incredible thing. Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords has chosen to make us co-heirs with Christ, that his joy is complete as his people take up their inheritance, his inheritance that they have by grace and adoption that he possesses by right, by nature. Because that's another thing about the doctrine of union with Christ is that what Jesus possesses by right by divine right, by nature, as the son of God, we are given over by grace and adoption. Mm. And so the doctrine of union with Christ and the doctrine of adoption are incredibly uh, tied together. I think of another thing would be we are in some, and, and I don't know that I have this fully fleshed out. So I would just be, I would say, don't ask me a follow-up to it. Um, <laughs> but what does Paul say in Colossians 1, 24? Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Yeah. So part of the fulfillment of us entering into Christ Jesus is that God has chosen for the body of Christ, of whom Christ is the head, to be a not just a fulfillment of his plan for divine inheritance, but as a fulfillment of Christ's ministry to the world. Wow. 
I don't know, that just gets me excited and fired up about uh, going about the work of ministry. And oftentimes, some of the passages that you've referenced are things that I really cling to in the midst of like challenging times. But I also think that sometimes when I'm really experiencing my own differing degrees of suffering personally, I think about, you know, the fact that scripture says we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places, or we have been given an inheritance in Christ, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, well, but here I am, you know, here suffering on this earth. Like, how is it that I can be in Christ? (laughs) And yet here I am on earth, like facing this present suffering. Like sometimes there's a disconnect for me thinking about myself, like how could I possibly be seated in the heavenly places, for example? And yet here I am on earth, like walking through whatever suffering is set before me. So can you talk a little bit about that and how that impacts the way that we engage with the challenges that we're facing in our day-to-day lives? Gosh, I really resonate with this question because I think every Christian, when they begin to hear the doctrine of union with Christ, at first it's igniting and it's life-giving. And then as it hits the kind of just road test of life, it feels like, wait a second. So like I'm having this really terrible day and yet I'm in Christ Jesus right now. Yes, and that's how, what I mean. How does that how does that play out? And I do want to say that a lot of the what I'm about to share, I am deeply indebted to a book that has not gotten enough attention. And I mm. just I, every time I talk about this doctrine, I'm like, you you've got to read this book. It's a book by Paul Miller entitled mm. J Curve: uh, Dying okay. and Rising with Christ. That book has I, I don't know why not everybody is talking about that book. It's in, it's truly exceptional and would strongly commend it to you. So just know if anything that I'm about to say sounds profitable to you, it will be more profitable for you to explore that book. It's been unfairly neglected. Uh, Yes. Part of living in Christ Jesus is constantly trying to find your life in the life of Jesus. Hmm. So like trying to learn how to read, let me pan out here. Maybe three things. The first one, as I would say, there the doctrine of union with Christ cannot be concepted into your heart. It's got to be prayed in. Mm. And I'll I'll tell you, like I I've I don't know how many times I've mm. taught on the doctrine of union with Christ. How many books I could tell you to read? How many books I've read? How much I've written on the topic? How much I want to write on the topic? And I'll tell you, this doctrine doesn't get into your bones mm. any other way or any other way but prayer. So just, I I can't, I'm not going to be able to give you like a life hack into the doctrine of union with Christ. It's just a huge, this morning at, you know, 5.40 AM, I'm bleary eyed and trying to wake up and I begin my time with the Lord, with just a reminder to myself, Father, today I am in Christ. Yesterday I was in Christ. Tomorrow Mm. I will be in Christ. And one day I will be with Christ in heaven Mm. forever. Just trying to like pound it into my heart of hearing ears and heart. And so I would just begin anything I'm about to say, the, the, the real condition of that is prayer and praying that the spirit will bring it to our bones. As we pray and on the foundation of prayer, one way that I have learned to try to pull myself back into remembrance and participation, because the theologians would talk about union with Christ as a dynamic, vital, and mystical union. Hmm. They would always use those words, either some combination of the two or one or all three, dynamic, vital, mystical, mystical, because it's not seen. It's not like the clothes I wear. It's not like every day I put on my in Christ shirt. 
Although sometimes I probably need that kind of just very tangible reminder. <laughs> it probably is not a bad idea. Um, I'll let journey women uh, run. I was going to say, you guys Christ should Earth. put that on the, on the list for knowing faith merch. For yeah, sure. yeah. 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 Uh, no, yeah. Uh, would be nothing better than profiting from a doctrine. Right. Um, <laughs> so yes. So um, it's not something I like I put on. It's mystical, meaning uh-huh. it's true even when I don't see it or feel it. Yeah. Uh, and and is by nature because it is mystical, can be a little hard to grab, and that's the prayer part. It's vital, meaning it's not just one place. I'm not just in Christ Jesus when I'm at church. I'm not just in Christ Jesus when I'm reading my Bible. Right. I'm in Christ Jesus when I am losing my patience with my five year old. I'm in it. Now I may not be walking with God. <laughs> I may not be walking in all the benefits and all the assurances of being in Christ, but whenever I'm losing my patience with my five-year-old, I'm still in Christ Jesus. Hmm. Whenever I'm in traffic and I'm absolutely furious that I'm going to be late to an appointment, hmm. I'm a type A person. Any agreement? Me <laughs> I get it. <laughs> and I'm like, why? You know, you're so dumb. The person I'm insulting <laughs> is in Christ Jesus. Hmm. This is also true of my brotherly and sisterly relations with the church. Yeah. When I'm mad at somebody in the church, I'm mad at somebody who's in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Whenever I am disappointed or discouraged or hurt, I've been disappointed or discouraged or hurt by somebody who is in Christ Jesus. That is a huge way for us to begin to just kind of understand. I right now am in Christ Jesus, even if it's not my best look. That person, if they're a Christian, is in Christ Jesus, even if it's not their best look. So this is going to change the way I view myself and the way I view others. And I would say one way of doing this is trying to find your life in the actual historical life of Jesus. Are you inconvenienced? Well, was Christ ever inconvenienced? Have your plans been interrupted? Well, was Christ ever interrupted? Hmm. Uh, Are you sad? Well, was Christ ever grieving? Hmm. Are you hurt? Well, was Christ ever hurting? Are you hungry? Was Christ ever hungry? Are you thirsty? Has somebody betrayed you? Well, was Christ ever betrayed? It's about the doctrine of union with Christ will remain ethereal if we don't always tie it back to the actual historical. This is, we're actually united to somebody who actually lived, who is living. And Hebrews 4.15 says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Mm-hmm. So am I experiencing temptation? Okay. Well, then Christ has experienced temptation. I wonder what his life looked like when he experienced temptation. Well, let's go to the wilderness and find out, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's about tying it back historically to the actual lived experience of Jesus Christ. So I would say prayer constantly view of self and view of others and reminding, okay, this is who I am, this is who they are. And then I would say trying to regularly tie yourself back in to the historical work of Jesus. Uh, Another way that you can do this is in prayer. I'll often tell the people of Mosaic when we, in corporate prayer in in particular, prayer nights, prayer events, there's a time tonight we're going to begin to pray. And then we're going to end our praying. But guess what? When we begin praying, Christ already praying. Mm-hmm. When we end our time in prayer, mm. guess who doesn't stop praying? Christ. We're in Christ. We are in him and with him forever. And so just know the moment you begin praying, you are now in a way that is very cognizant in your communion with God. You are trying to actively join into mm-hmm. where you're already at. You're already at the right hand of God, the father right now, 
you are in Christ Jesus. That is as real to you as it is that you and I are recording from Richardson and from wherever you're recording at. We are as much in Christ Jesus as we are anywhere, maybe more so. And it is hard for us to imagine that. But to cross the imaginative gap will require devotion and prayer and meditation and a real willingness to constantly go, how is my life right now? How could that be tied into the actual lived life of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and find ourselves there once again, over and over again? Mm. I think this is part of why I found this doctrine so like life-giving and and that it ignites like rest in me um, as opposed to striving. But I would love to hear you talk a little bit about how union with Christ fuels our rest. Because even as I'm thinking through like this, like I, I'm really excited about, you know, just trying to process through, well, how am I in Christ? Like even now, like with, with me, for example, like walking through grief with this Mm. season of um, having just lost my dad, you're like, oh, well, I think about Christ, like at the grave of Lazarus, you know, like thinking about, but then also as a mom, this is just me pushing back on that. Like, because as a mom, I'm like, I really want to sit and think about this stuff, but sometimes it can produce in me like this striving where I'm like, I, I don't even have the time to do that. And I want to do that. And I can't do that. And if I don't understand it, then maybe I'm not going to be able to experience that kind of rest. So even when we feel haphazard about the way that we're thinking through these things, if we're not able to like get to the word and, and find exactly where it is that Christ is experiencing what we're experiencing even now, like how is Christ still fueling our rest, even if we don't fully understand the concept of union with Christ, and even if we don't understand exactly how he has experienced our suffering, as you referenced in that Hebrews 4 passage. Yeah, you know, I gosh, I, I really appreciate the question. I think that there's a couple of things. One, uh, we can walk into all of life knowing that the verdict is already in. Like, I'll say this. Maybe you're, uh, you're you're in a high impact career and you feel like time is really scarce right now, or you've got a lot of little kiddos in your house yeah. and you're like, man, my time is really scarce. Do you know what I hear from so many people? It's just this idea that, man, um, I, I am constantly feeling like people are making an assessment about how I'm doing or what I'm doing. Hmm. And we read that back into our relationship with God. I mean, I, I, as an achiever, I do this all the time. If I have a really productive and successful day, I'll feel really good about myself because I'll feel like I'm reading my view of me into God's view of me. Hmm. Well, guess what? God isn't waiting on a future version that he's going to love more. There's not like a future version of Hunter or Kyle that he's going to approve of more. The verdict is already in. We've already been declared righteous. We've already been declared beloved. And so if you have a total failure of a day, no time with God's word, your kids are up and you're the you're the worst mom of your whole life. This is your worst <laughs> mom day. Fails all across the board. Or it's your worst dad day. Fails across the board. And you're at the end of the day, you're preaching to yourself a gospel that's like, man, if I would only do better, if I could only achieve more, it is so easy to begin to hear your view of you as God's view of you. Well, for the Christian That should be a moment of dissonance where you go, wait, 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 what am I telling myself right now? You know, the way that I might say it like this, I was one time meeting with a friend and uh, I was talking to a friend about like all these ways. I just felt like I wasn't measuring up Hmm. and, you know, we're having this conversation and he, he leaves the booth. Like he, like, just like, doesn't say we're at like a little restaurant, they're back to back booths. He, he doesn't say anything to me. He just listens. He leaves the booth. And then he goes and he sits on the other side facing the opposite direction like he's meeting with somebody else. And he begins to say – he was like, let me talk to you about my son, Kyle. 
And he begins to talk about me as if he was God the Father. Hmm. Let me talk to you about this. Like, man, it doesn't matter what he does, I'm going to love him. Like he begins to have this conversation, almost like this imaginary conversation, as if God the Father was having this conversation about me within earshot. But that's what's happening all the time. Hmm. He just was giving me a picture of what's happening all the time. I'm in Christ Jesus. Do you know if God is having a casual conversation with the Son and the Spirit about Hunter at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you've done that day. God is talking about you as a beloved daughter, mm-hmm. as righteous, as forever loved, as worthy, as set apart. We often talk to ourselves in a way that God the Father would never speak of us. Mm-hmm. Ever, because mm-hmm. we're in the sun, and because of that, we're beloved for good forever, and nothing can change that. So I would say, listen, if you're feeling like, man, I don't know that I can really give the time to meditating on the doctrine of union with Christ, or in the moment, how can I remember? I would say, it is very holy and healthy at this juncture in your life to set aside something that you can say to yourself in those moments. Mm. I'm not saying it's an intention or a mantra, whatever. Mm-hmm. You can use whatever language you want to talk about. I'm, I'm not going to quibble over how what you call it. But some truth that you can repeat to yourself, whether it's I'm loved forever for good in Jesus. Mm. You know, something, some sort of like just cry for help to be able to come to God and say, I need mm. to remind myself of what's true in this moment. I am in Jesus Christ and I am fully loved forever and nothing can change that. No matter whether I won that moment or I lost that moment, mm-hmm. whether it was a victory or a failure, whether my day was marked by success or an absolute catastrophe, I'm in Christ Jesus and nothing can separate me from the love of God in the heavenly places. This is why Romans 8, mm-hmm. it's like the, especially those last verses, when people ask me, what's mm-hmm. a practical step I can take beyond prayer for setting the doctrine of union with Christ deep in my heart? Mm-hmm. I always tell them, start memorizing Romans 8, 31 through 39. I mean, I I know it's a lot there. So you could even just consider going, hey, I'm going to memorize one of these verses here. I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that so much. I think one of the things that I lament that I've seen in Christian culture at large, particularly over the last couple of years, um, is that we don't speak to each other like that often. So can you talk about how the doctrine of union with Christ, how that impacts the way that we communicate as brothers and sisters, and even beyond that with a lost and dying world? Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting right now, isn't it? Like, um, I bet you see this a lot. A lot of truths that we that Christians believe are uniquely found in Christ Jesus are now mirrored in the self-help and self-therapeutic world. Mm-hmm. Like, have you seen a lot of posts that talk about how worthy we are? Right. I mean, that has become like, I am worthy, you know, I am... even beloved language, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm worthy. I'm seen. I'm beloved. What that is, is it's a culture that is like dying for those realities to be true. Mm. And it feels like if they shout it loud enough, they'll believe it. Mm -hmm. But nah, the cobwebs are pretty thick in the corners of our heart and you're not going to be able to shout it out loud enough to cross the chasm of sin. Listen, I mean, gosh, you know, I wish this wasn't the case for broken hearts. I wish it wasn't the case for my heart, but you can say you're worthy and you're beloved to the cows come home 
the power of that statement is having somebody pronounce it over you. Hmm. That's the good. The good news of the gospel isn't that God convinces us that we're worthy. Mm-hmm. The good news of the gospel is that the Father who sees all and knows all says, "You are." Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He pronounces it. It's a pronouncement. And so I think that when we think about being people of this truth in a sin sick world, when people uh, and I, I, you know, I'll hear this when they'll say, "Well, you know," um, uh, when when I hear that kind of self care self help language. I often say, why do you believe that? I think that's true about you. Tell me why you believe that to be true about you. And I use it as an opportunity. I feel like I've never had more opportunity to share the gospel because this kind of like very self-empowerment language is so conversant right now. It's just so easy to be like, tell me why you think that's true. Hmm. I, I think that's actually true about you. Tell me why you think that's hmm. true about you. And it, it gives it a great opportunity to just talk about having something that's stable. It's not just how you feel about you. What hmm. if it was actually really true about you? Hmm. So that's one thing. I think when we talk about as brothers and sisters in Christ, one way we can practice this is by exchanging advice, good advice for gospel truth. I mean, how many times are you in a conversation with a friend and what they want you to do is to give them advice? What they mm-hmm. desperately need, though, is a grounding yeah. truth. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of times Christians fall into the same trap that everyone does. And I'm not saying advice is bad. I'm going to have mm-hmm. lunch with a guy after this and I need advice. I hope he gives me advice, <laughs> but I hope I walk away from there knowing and getting the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that we can often do with folks is to say, hey, listen, um, you're right now maybe feeling like a little bit of pressure that if you don't nail this, um, you're going to fall out of God's love or his mm-hmm. approval or mm-hmm. his grace or whatever. Let me go ahead and tell you, nothing that you're going to do here is going to change that. Mm. he's already decided that. Yeah. And do you believe that? Because if you don't, it doesn't matter what I tell you, you're going to be trying to bargain God's approval with your right mm-hmm. or wrong decision. And you can't life your, hack your way into love. It's not mm-hmm. going to happen. So we can get to the advice part, but we, we got to start there. So I think slowing conversations down, you know, to go, Hey, let's, yeah. let's, let's really, what's the question underneath the question? Cause it sounds like the question underneath the question is, will God love me if I make the wrong decision? I'll tell you, yes, he will. Hmm. Uh, will God approve of me? You know, right now I'm par- uh, I'm pastoring a lot of parents who want to get school and education right for their kids. Hmm. And the stakes feel so high for them. Yes. They feel like, oh my gosh, if I get this wrong, can you imagine the collateral damage? And listen, it's not an inconsequential decision. It is a yeah. consequential decision. But the question underneath the question right. is a pressure. If you mess this up, you're going to mess your kids mm-hmm. up. And if you mess up your kids, then God is going to be totally unhappy with you. Mm. And they feel the long tail of this pressure. And it's all kind of sandwiched in this one, can I let my kids watch this? Or can I let my kids do this? Or how do I do this school thing? Or how do I answer this ethical question? Or whatever. And I just want to slow it down and go, hey, 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 I promise you right now, the father is not holding your future failures against you. Yeah. I think that's a good truth. I think this is partly why I found it so restful, you know, just getting to the biblical principles that drive practice. And as somebody who is more type A and who loves 
like listening to the counsel of others. It's just been really freeing for me. So thank you for freeing us up today as you just point us to these really grounding truths. If people want to grow in their understanding, I recommend just Googling. If you Google Kyle Worley, Union with Christ, don't be alarmed, Kyle, but you can find a lot of wonderful things um, on lots of different podcasts and sermons that you've taught on this topic. That's kind of, that's kind of terrifying. I, <laughs> the idea of somebody Googling me is like, oh boy, what and is you know that? Kyle, you're in Christ. It's okay. Thank you, sister. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, okay. Well, what would you recommend? Gosh, I mean, there are so many resources on this topic. I certainly, I've already recommended Paul Miller's book, The J-Curve, which I would just say, again, I say it a lot because the book is just neglected, but it's a fantastic book. Really, really exceptional stuff. I would also say, I mean, other people that have done great work on this, a guy named Constantine Campbell has done fantastic work. It's a little bit more dense. But if you're looking for like a deep dive on the doctrine of union with Christ in the mm-hmm. New Testament, that's kind of a, his work is a must read. Mike Reeves' book, Rejoicing in Christ, would also be a fantastic book. We're big Mike Reeves fans over at Knowing Faith. His book, Delighting in the Trinity, is fantastic. And Rejoicing in Christ is equally exceptional. So I would say those are some good places to go. Okay. Well, I know uh, that you have lunch after this, but one question that we ask every guest who comes on the podcast that I'd love to hear from you really quickly is just, you know, you've had an impact on lots of different uh, men and women in your local context. I know you've had an impact on many of the people who are listening that also listen to Knowing Faith, Um, but we'd love to hear from you. Who is it that's had the greatest impact on the way that you personally know and love God? Oh, man. If I, I mean, gosh, it'd have to, if it was going to be one person, it'd have to be my father. Mm. Yeah, my father, he's a pastor and um, he was just such a faithful dad and such a faithful father and uh, a faithful pastor. He's uh, just celebrated 26 years at the church where he has pastored since wow. I was seven years old and has always been a man who loves Jesus and wants other people to love Jesus and has always given me the gospel. And so, it, I mean, if I had to narrow it down to one person, it would unquestionably be my father. Oh, well, praise God for him. And I just, I do see his influence on you. Oftentimes I listen to you speak and I just think, wow, I attribute, uh, you know, your knowledge and giftedness to the Lord. And also just hearing that you've sat under faithful preaching for that uh, duration of time cannot be understated. So praise God for him. And I praise God for you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Journey Women podcast. Really glad to be here, Hunter. Thanks for having me on. I pray that you're encouraged to continue learning more about your position in Christ if you are His after listening to this conversation with Kyle. As I mentioned, you can find a few episodes on this very topic by searching for Kyle's podcast, well, Kyle, Jen, and JT's Knowing Faith on iTunes. But if you're enjoying this podcast, we would love it if you take a few minutes to leave a rating and review on iTunes like this one from Mo Elise that says, this podcast is the one that you need to hear if you are a woman looking to grow in her knowledge of God. Praise God. Thank you, Mo. Reviews like yours help get the podcast into the hands of other women who might find it helpful as they navigate the various seasons and challenges of life on this side of eternity. This episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. We are so grateful for them and for you. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.